0: Hello and welcome to today's episode of Served by SHFM, your Food Service Hospitality Podcast. The Society for Hospitality and Food Service Management is a community of like-minded professionals seeking educational, developmental, and networking opportunities to enrich their personal and professional goals. Hello and welcome back to Served by SHFM, your Food Service Hospitality Podcast. We're your hosts. I'm Michael Moore.
1: And I'm Danny Pedersen.
0: And in today's episode, we're going to talk about how to create an effective wellness program and ideas for how to get employees to view these programs as both legitimate and impactful.
1: And today we're joined by the fabulous Shauna McQueen, a holistic chef and global well-being lead at ISS Guggenheimer. Welcome, Shauna. Thank you so much for Thank taking you. the time for being on our podcast today. Thank you so much. I'm thrilled to be here. We're excited to have you. So to get everybody started off, we know well-being and holistic, those are all words that are kind of floating around in the ecosystem. But what is a global well-being lead? Like, what is it that you do?
2: Yeah, Um, so... I do quite a number of things. So I work with, for example, our culinary team on the types of foods that we're serving in our cafes. I also work with what is called our Curated Experience Team. So that is a group of lovely individuals that work on big programming, um, events on site, beautiful surprise and delights. And um, I also work with our fitness partners at, at different locations on what kind of fitness classes are we offering? What kind of movement classes do we have? are we. Um, incorporating enough mindfulness into each of those pieces. So now is a really exciting time actually to be in corporate wellness because it is changing rapidly. And I think people are becoming more and more aware of, of just the impact that these types of programs can can really make.
0: That is very cool. That's, I think that's something that, you know, I think you touched on it. Corporations are, are picking up that they really need to be not reactive on these things, but proactive. So it's wonderful to see that that's happening. But um, your background, uh, when we spoke, that was maybe six weeks ago now, it has just a number of interesting and unique parts in your career. And I really want to touch on that at the beginning. So um, you talked about dance being a big part of your life when you were younger, but not necessarily always a positive influence. What happened there? No, no, I, um, you know, I always,
2: always loved dancing. I did it all throughout high school, all throughout college. And it, it was something that, you know, meant a lot to me and I spent a lot of time doing but, you know, I, I never really had the typical dancers body so I always had this kind of tension with it and that ended up kind of carrying over to my relationship with food my relationship with myself and I you know kind of got interested in in wellness for. Um, or nutrition kind of for the wrong reasons i was interested in you know how do i try to transform my body from what it is into what i think that it should be and you know through through that experience um i i ultimately kind of when I when I graduated and was no longer dancing, I, I began to practice yoga. And I noticed something really interesting when I practiced yoga. It was like the tension that I had within my body and within my food relationship shifted and it it actually kind of just melted away. So I feel like for the first time I was learning to work with my body rather than against it, which is one of the things that I was constantly kind of kind of getting from, from being a dancer. And um, you know, thinking about food completely differently for the first time, whereas before I, it would occupy my thoughts constantly, like, what is the right thing I should be eating? And you know what, what how many calories is this? And what is this? To all of a sudden being like, what can I fuel myself with? What is the most nourishing thing that I can put in my body? And it was just kind of such an organic shift after for so long having that tension in my food relationship and mm-hmm. have those thoughts kind of being in my head that um, I was like, there is something more to this. Like, I wanna learn more about what all of this is, I actually ended up going to get my master's to study nutrition science. And I wrote my thesis on the connection between yoga practice and mindful eating. That's
1: really awesome, especially just for from another Fem person, um, just, you know, that struggle, I feel like so many of us can really empathize with, and it's great to hear you explain that core concept of yoga, which is yoking the body and the soul together, like bringing that together. And not only did that help you there, but also yoke in all of these other aspects too, so that you could be that whole being of a person. Are you still a yoga instructor today?
2: I am. I am certified and I, you know, I practice whenever I can. I'm no longer teaching. I really, I really miss it. Um, but it, it's a a really big part of my day. And I find that, especially with working mostly from home, that taking that break to stretch and move and disconnect is, you know, really something that I've found to be beneficial.
0: Is this something where, you know, kind of going back to to dance and and how that maybe wasn't necessarily uh, positive for you in, in the way you were viewing your body. Um, and then you found yoga and you found this idea of, of wellness. Is that where it started? Is that where your career kind of, you know, whether you knew it or not, really um, was established and laid down roots?
2: Um, yeah, that kind of is. So when I, you know, when I went to, uh yoga really started me on this wellness journey it was i you know, had that flip from dancing and you know being at odds with myself to all of a sudden, you know, Danielle being one. And I decided that I really want to pursue this more. And I got way more into studying nutrition. That was when I went to get my master's, uh, decided to become an RD. And then um, you know, even after that, I decided to keep learning more and more about it. And I decided to go to culinary school to learn everything I could about healthy eating or nutritious eating. You know, I I um, loved studying nutrition, but one of the things that I felt was sometimes missing was food. So I decided to go to culinary school and, um, and learn everything I could about it. So I was just gathering all of these random skills or things that you know traditionally don't align in one particular career path. And that was what ended up setting me off into wellness and, and where I am today go ahead tanny oh it's okay
1: uh so before you got your master's degree and then went to culinary school because it sounds like almost the reverse of what a lot of folks do is that they usually do culinary school first and then go for you know their dietitian, their nutrition license where did you initially start in your your college journey
2: that where what your bachelor's in so it's in English, actually. I, yes, uh, English majors. <laughs>
0: yeah, I, I have love... one too. Zero value. Yay!
2: <laughs> <laughs> I love it. And here we are all in food. <laughs> um, but I, you know, I loved reading. I loved writing. In fact, I thought I wanted to be the editor-in-chief of a fashion magazine back then. And, um, you know, in, in the end, it was uh, no regrets at all. Being a writer is something that has helped me tremendously because I do a lot of curriculum writing. I do a lot of just general nutrition education or wellness education. So it's served me well.
0: And and on that path, uh, you jumped around a little bit, which is fun, but there's one, one kind of nugget in your background that is so wildly unique from coming from a culinary and as well, you went to a very unique culinary school and I need to know more about it. So can you, what was that? Tell us all what it was and talk about that experience.
2: Sure. Uh, it was called the Natural Gourmet Institute. It is a, uh, it was a, a small school located in New York City. It has since kind of um and absorbed into ice and and they have a whole mm. curriculum around it but what i was really drawn to is they had a focus on health supportive cooking so i knew that i wanted to study traditional techniques but after you know studying nutrition for so long i knew i wanted that health focus so i wanted the traditional techniques but i wanted some kind of less traditional ingredients i wanted to learn how to work with more whole grains how to work with you know less added sugars and you know how to to incorporate more plant-based foods and when I found this school and that something like that existed it just like I couldn't sign up fast enough I was so thrilled to to be there and my experience there was absolutely wonderful and um I ended up after after I graduated from there doing some teaching there too and you know in trying to incorporate nutrition and uh the culinary arts into my classes and also even a, a little bit of mindfulness. I would teach mindful cooking classes. I would teach classes on like healing your food relationship and um you know how do you become more engaged in your diet, that kind of thing. So I have a question uh, about the mindful cooking. What does that process
1: look like? Because when you say mindful cooking, the first thing I think about is that episode of Chef's Table with the Korean Buddhist monk where the act of cooking is a form of meditation in itself. So I'd love to get your perspective on mindful cooking and how you taught that.
2: Yes, this is also one of my absolute favorites uh, to talk about. I I spent a month at a Buddhist monastery being the the vegetarian cooking intern, and um, I was so what? fascinated. <laughs> yeah. um, was a, a We're just gonna
0: breeze place. over that.
2: <laughs> it was a, a wonderful place in the Catskills, um, and I I did it. You know, after I finished my my masters, and was kind of like not quite sure what I was going to do with my next step, but knew that I like, didn't want to see a computer for the next month. So, <laughs> um, so I went there, it was the, the vegetarian cooking intern and was just kind of going to take it all in. And I, I went thinking that it was going to be, you know, almost like a, like a yoga retreat and it would be really relaxing. And little did I know that the, the type of Buddhism that I was studying was something called Renzai Buddhism. It was, um, s- essentially samurai Buddhism. <laughs> so it was like, really interesting intense. We were, we were meditating for four hours a day. We like didn't have phone service. We, you know, we're even talking was kind of discouraged unless you needed to. So I had no idea what I was getting into, but one of the things that I just like loved the most was their approach to food. They grew all of their own vegetables. They had a very plant forward diet and they, you know, um, they approached, the whole cooking experience as a meditation so if you're chopping the vegetables you're chopping the vegetables and your awareness is supposed to be really present because they consider being the cook um, one of the most important jobs that you can have in the monastery because the energy that you are imparting to the food that you're cooking um, is going to go off into all these different bodies and all these different people so um, they they kind of carried a lot of weight along with that. Like I said, I was only the intern, um, but I had so much fun doing it. It made me think about how I was cooking um, a little bit differently. That's awesome. And honestly, I've jokingly told people
1: that if I ever get the chance to take a two-month sabbatical, I'm out. I'm going to a Buddhist monastery and I just want to cook, like Like just do that exact thing.
2: We'll, we'll talk. <laughs> yeah,
0: for sure. How is, that, how is that not the first bullet point on any resume in terms of experience intern at Buddhist Monastery? I mean, I just, I feel like that needs to be highlighted more, and it's it's not, so.
2: Well, I'm glad it came up. <laughs> yes.
0: and So so in this, you talked about, um, you know, you, you started to uh, enjoy teaching. What did you find so rewarding about that?
2: Um, you know, I just loved kind of uh, opening people's eyes to to cooking in a new way, um, to kind of removing fear from the equation of like, oh, I don't know what to cook, or I don't know what the right thing is to do, or, you know, the right thing is to even feed myself from a nutritional standpoint. Um, I just like love to kind of demystify all of it and have it being really grounded of like, you know, here's, here's step one, here's step two, we could do it. And you know, my philosophy when it comes to cooking is there is no right or wrong. Like there is a traditional technique of course, but it's all about kind of teaching yourself those skills and it, and it shouldn't be scary. Like all you have to do is kind of build up your palate and taste as you go and see what you like. And, um, and, and that was one of the things that I, that I really enjoyed. I also loved, you know, opening people's eyes to the possibility of of flavor in different plant based foods. So um, if people weren't maybe necessarily used to it, all the different things that you can do with vegetables to make them, you know, so vibrant and beautiful and fun and exciting, and, and it doesn't have to be like, oh, this is this is health food, and it mm-hmm. is, you know, what what people think is just kind of bland and 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 not a, uh, you know, not the things that they want yes. to eat. They're kind of. Yeah.
1: Out of it. that's awesome so how do you go from being an intern at a buddhist monastery because we're not going to drop that yet to no, culinary school and then teaching and to iss guggenheimer what where was that transition and how did you find this opportunity
2: Yeah. So I, um, like I said, began kind of teaching a bunch and, uh, writing a bunch. And then through that ended up getting a, a job at a a prominent health coaching school where I was kind of managing and developing the, um, the nutrition and health curriculum. So I got really into program writing and, and all of that. And, and I, I loved doing it all, but I really missed the culinary side of things because that was one aspect of of my skill set that I was like, I I really would love to incorporate that back into my day job. And I ended up finding a job with Guggenheimer that was all centered on these skills that I had been kind of acquiring, but had never seen in one job description before. So I immediately jumped on it and was so excited to to be able to do that. And um, I have since kind of grown with the company company and with that my um my kind of different responsibilities are growing too but it's been such an amazing journey and
0: it it does kind of seem like you know I was going to ask going into this if there was a light bulb moment uh when that job when that job became available but I mean I I guess it seems like so everything that that you had practiced that you found interesting that you were passionate about Guggenheim ISS was just like, hey, yeah, we randomly have this job that falls into everything. Was it that or was it, you know, you got in there and you built it out into what you wanted it to be? Because that's always an interesting thing about these wonderful and unique roles that everyone has, you know, yeah. on paper that could be very different than when you get there. So how, how was that for you?
2: It was... um yeah, it, it was a, a little bit of both, but I will say that during the pandemic, um, I had to kind of pivot really quickly because I was when we were on site uh, at the time. I was spending a lot of time working with our culinary team on our menus and you know what are what are we serving? How can we make it more nutritious? And and what are the snacks that we're stocking? How can we like revamp that program to not only be more nutritious but also more sustainable? Um, so I was focusing on a lot of like site specific things and then when the the pandemic happened i was like oof we're all virtual what are we going to do and then i started getting more into that kind of program development side and writing side of my skill set and i uh, created a, a a magazine an internal magazine all focused on whole person health and um you know through that i have kind of you know I use that to, to kind of build up what I'm what I'm doing now. And yeah, and I honestly never thought that one of these jobs would exist. In fact, if I did, maybe I wouldn't have gotten my bachelor's in English way before. Um, but I Ditto, Ditto.
0: Yeah,
2: I I um ultimately was thinking that I was going to have to build this uh, job for myself, maybe through consulting or, you know, creating my own programs. And uh, yeah, it was just, it was that light bulb moment when I saw all those things together in one job description.
1: That's fantastic. And I, I want to kind of pivot from your background into going into the main topic that we had, which was really diving into wellness and, and, you know, what that entails. So to start what, how do you define wellness? Is this something that's defined by the individual? Is there a standard definition and how do, how, how do you start that approach
2: of defining that if it is something that is individual based? Yeah, absolutely. And it is so, personal. Uh, any one person's wellness journey is going to look different from somebody else's. And there is no kind of gold standard for how we talk about wellness or what are the specific co- components that wellness entails. But we know that it has to do with our mental and emotional health. We know what it has to do with our physical health, our uh, the environment that we're in, our relationships uh, that we have. Even our financial health plays a role in our overall well-being. So um, we have these different pieces. That, that are kind of uh, combining into this, this circle, I guess, of what is uh, wellness. But for me, whenever I think about wellness or whenever I try to, to describe to somebody what I think it is, I always say wellness is finding regular opportunities for joy in your life. That's a mm. great definition. Yeah.
1: And can we have you repeat that just one more time for the guests so that way they have that opportunity to
2: write it down? Sure, sure. So wellness is finding regular opportunities for joy in your life.
0: Yeah, and, and that that begs the question: um, you know, how do you take that that idea, that that principle, and bridge the gap between, you know, the the sort of nebulousness of it and the and the you know individual application, and bring it into a corporate setting? How do you make that stick and be something tangible in a world that? If I'm being honest, most of the time, like corporations, it just doesn't seem like it matters, you know, with the bottom lines and money. And, and I know that's being, you know, probably unfair to a lot of great corporations out there, but you know, that's, that's the way people see them sometimes.
1: Yeah. That there has to be that dollar amount
2: equated with it in order for it to be a worthwhile investment.
0: Mm-hmm. So, so how do you do that?
2: Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, I I think that we are in a pivot point when it comes to this, because um, Michael, as you pointed out, you know, previously, the the focus really was on the bottom line. So you would see wellness programs that were focused on things like smoking cessation and weight loss. Um, But the thing is, is I think if that's what you are thinking of in terms of wellness programming, then you're looking at statistics. You're not looking at people. And you're not looking at their individual well-being. And um, like I said, we know now, especially after the pandemic, Let's. say, I think uh, about 60% of adults have have suffered some from some kind of mental health condition. And or it was, I'm sorry. I think I'm oh, I'm inflating this a little bit. I think it was actually 40%. But it was a large, <laughs> a big, significant part of the population has suffered with some kind of a mental health or alcohol abuse or substance abuse disorder throughout the pandemic. Um, so it is really significant. So it gets people thinking about well-being in the in the office in a completely different way. Um, another thing to keep in mind is that for every COVID-related death there has been. That leaves seven people left grieving. So if you think about the scope of that too, there's so many people who are suffering loss, and that is something that that employers need to also consider. Um, But on top of all of that, the workplace is shifting so much that now wellness isn't just a a checking off the to-do list. Wellness is part of what people need to do to actually strategize to get people back in the office again. It needs to be a Piece of that because it's part of who we are, and we have gotten used to certain things over the course of the two years, and and people are going to continue to kind of expect that.
0: I mean, exactly. none of us want to wear work pants ever again
2: no. for any reason.
0: I have embraced the spandex jogger, and I will never turn back. That is my life. <laughs>
1: I just I did want to touch on something in there, too, Shauna, that you had brought up is the fact that so many Americans are dealing with mental health issues or, or anxiety, depression, alcohol or substances. Abuse and it's that idea of you can't bring your whole, whole self to work if there's not a conversation about mental health and wellness because mental health doesn't just check out nine to five when you're sitting at your desk, you know yeah. it, you carry that with you and I think that really pairs into our next question about creating this positive work culture and implementing that so that way, you know people can feel they they can bring their whole selves to work. So how does a wellness program
2: support a Positive work culture. I mean, there are, uh, Few different ways. Um, so, if you have a, a well-being program um, and you know the leadership is really invested and it's clear that they are valuing it, then that makes an impact. So, one, if you are giving people resources to support their well-being within the workplace, that has value. If you're offering them classes, maybe movement classes or educational classes, that might help. Like all of these are are really great things. Um, but you know, part of of where I think there needs to be improvement overall is well being needs to be more structural. Sure, we can add a meditation class to your day, but anytime you do that, you're asking that uh, individual employee to take time away from their work and ultimately time away from their life at home with their families to do this thing for their own well being when they're on your time. So ultimately, they're taking the time that they should be working to embrace their wellness and that is wonderful but all of the onus is on the individual employee in that case so what i would really love to see is wellness being more structural and you're seeing more and more companies kind of uh approaching their benefits in this way of you know offering mental health uh days in their in their benefits package you know actually giving like Long leave for new parents, and doing things that, to support people in all kinds of other ways, even uh, supporting with helping people to pay with student loans. Like these are all things that people stress out about and worry about. And as I as I gave you my education journey earlier, <laughs> you may know what, what what's the thing that stresses me out, but. Um, but yeah, I really would love to see well-being uh, being more structural of like, you know what, if you're going to offer that meditation class, then like, all right, we're going to do a pause on meetings during that time. We're going to encourage everyone to go. This is for all of us. Um, it's not just on, you know, this one individual to participate.
1: I really love that everything that you just said, because one, I felt like you were speaking to me a little bit, <laughs> but also that it does need to be a deeper structural change. Like the system itself is what Mm -hmm. needs to change and how we view how it operates. And so part of that is like you said, maybe if you want people to attend a class, then have a block of time where you're, Hey, say, Hey, organization, we're not going to have meetings during this, or we're going to do it so that we can, you know, make sure that everybody has to, there's always going to be an emergency or something that pops up, but really really creating that program so that you're getting the most impact from it. And it's not just like we offered this one class or, you know, hey, here, here, do yoga with us this one time.
0: And and I, I really love the idea that we're talking about wellness in such a different way than I feel like it was viewed several years ago where, you know. I I think an older view of wellness was let's find a way as an organization to reduce our uh, insurance premiums by offering, you know, programs to quit smoking or whatever that looks like. And this is what we're talking about. And and Shauna, what you're doing and you're talking about is let's find a way to improve our employees' lives. And yeah, maybe uh, an extra benefit of that is, you know, People people are living a healthier lifestyle or whatever, but more importantly, we're, we're finding a way as organizations to improve them, to give back to them, and not just take 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 take.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Which yeah, I mean, I think it's just an important distinction to make, and I, and I love that it's being addressed now, because you know I I have uh, I have maybe an antiquated view of some of these things in terms of where they are, and it's it's wonderful to hear that you know large and influential organizations like yours and others are are pivoting on this and seeing the importance of it.
2: Yeah. And I think, you know, we're, we're, we're shifting, we're realizing that like, you know, sure, this is great for our employees, but then in the end, it still is great for the employer because you have increased retention. Your employees are more engaged. They're maybe showing up with more yeah. energy. They feel more creative. They, um, you know, are doing these things to, to also take care of themselves. And that shows up in how you can approach your work. Exactly. And to go back to
1: something you said earlier about trying to get organizations to be more proactive than reactive, having something like a wellness program that's structural in place is helps reduce burnout. That thing that everybody knows about that we're, you know, oh, if you just take a vacation, you'll be fine. But there's long-term effects of burnout and it doesn't just take one vacation to, uh, to recover from it. So if you want to be proactive about providing your employees with a good space to you know produce work in then yeah you're going to get all of these benefits
2: yeah and burnout is something that is Uh, particularly important to think about in our industry. If you are in the food and hospitality industry, you are just more likely to suffer from burnout. So, and, you know, having things like uh, really demanding schedules, unclear job expectations, um, those all can contribute to to that sense of burnout. And I think a lot of us have dealt with that in, in the course of the pandemic. But, you know, the Last thing I kind of want to mention here is when it comes to any of these programs is uh, leadership needs to get involved. It's not enough you know, for leadership to say we're offering these programs and then to not also participate or to show that they are um, that they're they're really Um, taking a value in it, because then um, ultimately people can recognize that. And then they're thinking, well, oh, maybe this isn't the priority. So uh, getting, getting, you know, all uh, leadership on board, wherever you work, whatever you do, like that is Mm -hmm. such a key to the ultimate success of
0: any of these programs. And, And what are, you know, kind of speaking to that and the importance of leadership buying into it if if someone were at a company that didn't have a wellness program in place or wanted to revise it or maybe they, you know, um they're smaller they're, and they're looking to roll this out what advice can you give them what what small things can they do to get it started because i think that's the hardest part with all these things that we talk about is how do you take it from this wonderful concept that we're exploring into action you know how, what what are a couple of small things that Someone looking to change their program or roll one out could do just to get it started. Where would you start with it?
2: Yeah, I mean, you could always get really technical and do a needs assessment of like, you know, what do people actually need, where are they struggling, all that kind of stuff. But when it comes to creating uh, you know, any kind of well being program or just simply like getting well being to be more a part of your employees' day or your own mm-hmm. day, um, it, you don't need a huge fancy budget. You don't need a, an on site gym or anything like it can be very grassroots. You can say, Hey, I am interested in starting a walking club on Wednesdays. Would you be interested in joining me? And like the impact of that can grow over time. So it's shifting, you know, people's activities, but little things like that can have a major impact and shift the whole culture.
1: That's awesome. And from that, where, what are some small things that you recommend individuals do to bring more wellness into their lives outside of just within
2: their own work organization? Yes. So certainly there are all of the typical things that people would say, be mindful of your screen time, you know, get your steps in, try to eat whole foods. Uh, You know, when you think about it, take time to breathe deeply and and ground yourself. Um, These are all things that you can do. But, you know, for me, when you're looking at well-being as a to-do list, then you're taking the You're taking the joy out of it, of these things that should be helping you. You're creating additional tension. If you're like, oh, I should be doing this. I should be doing this. So then Mm -hmm. ultimately that's creating more tension within your, your body, within your mind. And, um, those things become less enjoyable. So I would say rather than being like, I have to do this, I have to do this for wellness. I should be doing this. I would just say, look for more opportunities for joy,
1: just for more opportunities for joy. That's perfect. And if anybody's looking for an idea, I've started meditating again. I've had an on and off relationship with meditation for a long time, but just starting small and being like, Hey, my coffee brews for three minutes and 30 seconds in the morning. Perfect time for me to sit down and meditate until that's done.
0: And and I scream hysterically into a pillow each morning. So, you know, it's the same side. Uh, yeah, you know, coin it's you know it's teach thrown um, we are the yin and yang <laughs> maybe, maybe i'm not getting it <laughs> no but you know i i do think i think we've explored some some really impactful concepts today and most importantly i really appreciate shauna that you you showed us how to take it from the abstract the nebulous the the curious and interesting into here here's how you can execute it here's how you can make it happen no matter if you're a big company little company and And I wonderful that I, I love that it can start as small as something as let's going on, let's go on a walk together. let's mm-hmm. let's do something like that, and then it can grow naturally. and And I think most importantly, not to make the process of implementing wellness be a stressful one. And so <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, you know, we just really want to thank you for coming out today, um, finding time in your busy schedule. But before we let you go, we want to ask the one question we always love to ask, which is, bum, you know, bum,
1: bum. Yes,
0: if you can think about yourself, reach back through time and tell the Shauna just starting out on her professional journey that, that that whether it's the dancer or the English major or whatever that was,
1: or the Buddhist monastery intern. Yes.
0: (laughs) Most importantly, you know, what, what would you tell that, that young Shauna, what would you tell her?
2: Um, I would say, you know, keep, you're not going to have a direct path, but you're on the right one.
0: Oh, like that's it. good. Oh, that's huh? good. <laughs> I like that. I'll, I'll work with that. I'll take that. i yeah, steal that. That's... I'm going to steal that and say, I, I, I say that's my own. I like that.
1: Just like um. a man. <laughs> <laughs>
0: <laughs> Got to live up to it. Um, no, this this was wonderful. Really appreciate it, Shauna. This was information that I think SHFM needed. And, and I think the world at large needs to be more aware of. So thank you for spreading your message. And, thank you. Yeah, thank you so much. Is there anything else you want to say before we let everybody get back to their day?
2: Um, no, just this was such a, a really wonderful treat. And I appreciate SHFM so much. And I'm, I'm really thrilled to be here today. So thank you. If right. folks want to learn a
1: little bit more about your wellness programs or anything like that, do you have any place that you're sharing this information online, like Twitter, LinkedIn, where should they follow you at?
2: Sure. Um, you can find me on Instagram, actually, if you want to see the, the Plant Forward dishes I'm making, uh, Shauna underscore McQueen. Fantastic. Thank you That's so good. much, Shauna. Thank All
0: right. you. Thanks, everybody.
2: Bye, guys. Bye.
0: Thank you for tuning in to today's episode of Served by SHFM, your Food Service Hospitality Podcast. Please keep in mind that the views and opinions expressed on today's episode are not necessarily those of SHFM or any of its members.